I want to turn in this final service of the year to the book of Genesis, the very end of the book of Genesis, chapter 50, uh, which uh, kind of brings us to the end of the story of Joseph. That starts on Genesis 37 already, and uh, it's a complicated story with its ups and downs. It uh, ends, I mean, Joseph's brothers treat him so badly at some point, but there's this final wonderful reunion, and then Joseph's father passes away. And in Genesis chapter 50, verse 15, we begin the reading, and it goes like this. When Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, what if Joseph holds a grudge against us and pays us back for all the wrongs we did to him? So they sent word to Joseph saying, your father left these instructions before he died. This is what you are to say to Joseph. I ask you to forgive your brothers the sins, the wrongs they committed in treating you so badly. Now please forgive the sins of the servants of God your father, of the God of your father. When their message came to him, Joseph wept. His brothers then came and threw themselves down before him. We are your slaves, they said. But Joseph said to them, don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? You intended to harm me. But God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. So then don't be afraid. I will provide for you and your children. And he reassured them and spoke kindly to them. Lord, just take those scriptures and just um, bring them into our hearts and let them move us and shape us. In Jesus' name, amen. There's some notes that might be available to you if you want to follow along, even fill in the blanks. The title of the message is God's Other Name. And the question I just start with is, what do you say today? This is the last Sunday. This is our last shot together of this year. and We won't get together until a week from now. And, and when you look at what's getting said, you look at, oh, I get, I get Time Magazine and it it reviews the year in pictures, some remarkable pictures that were taken. Uh, there are the stories of the rich and famous people who passed away. There's the highlights of sporting uh, programs and people. And then we do what we did here in terms of the video, just kind of reflect and look back at what's been happening at the river and even in Canada and around the world. What do you say today? What I want to say today has to do with the God whom we serve. And what we understand God whom we serve to be is a sovereign God. He is a sovereign God. And that comes out in the story of Joseph and even in terms of what Joseph ends up saying. The story of Joseph is one in which there's lots of things that happen, but they weren't random acts, Joseph notes. The story of Joseph uh, kind of concludes with Joseph saying this and so significant an issue. You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what was now being done. You see, what was happening was that Joseph's father had died, and Joseph's brothers knew that this may be a moment that Joseph had an opportunity to wreak some revenge on his brothers. They had not treated him very well um, over the course of the number of years, and, and Joseph's brothers knew that, and, and, and they came to Joseph with this instruction from their father. This is what you ought to say to Joseph. Please forgive us for the harmful things that we did to you. 
And then they come to Joseph and they throw themselves down in front of Joseph and they say, we'll be your slaves, Joseph. We'll be your servants, Joseph. Reminds me a little bit of the parable that Jesus spoke of the prodigal son who wanted his inheritance early and who just spent it and found himself bankrupt and knew that the best place to be was in his father's house. And so when he comes back to his father, he says to his father, um, please, father, I'm willing to be your servant, your slave. And his father says, this my son is lost and is found again. You are my son. You come into the household as a son. Joseph's brothers were at the point where they were saying to him, we're willing to be your slaves. But Joseph points them to God and God's role in everything that happens here. You meant it for evil. God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done. It's a sentiment that gets expressed in the Heidelberg Catechism, one of the confessions of the Christian Reformed Church. And you knew I just had to get something like that in at the end of the year, the Heidelberg Catechism, when it begins to explain what we say when we what we mean and believe when we say, I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. And the catechism coaches us to say, and this is what we believe. I trust God so much that I do not doubt he will provide whatever I need for body and soul and will turn to my good whatever adversity he sends upon me in this sad world. Sovereign God, the creator of the heavens and the earth. And what a powerful assurance that is. What a mighty thing that is to be able to say and believe. I believe in God, the Father, Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. Cornelius Plantinga, a name that's uh, fairly familiar to me because he and I were uh, classmates at Calvin Seminary, and then he went on to be the president of seminary. Calvin Seminary for a while. He's written a number of very wonderful books. Um, and I got one in the mail from Calvin Seminary. I think what I did was actually respond to a survey they asked me to do. I actually did the survey. And they said, okay, if you finish the survey, we'll give you a gift. And the gift that they gave me was this book by Cornelius Plantinga, Reading for Preaching. And it's a book that says the preacher in conversation with storytellers, biographers, poets, and journalists. And the point that he's making is that preachers like us ought to not only read the Bible and be very familiar with the Bible, but also ought to be reading other stuff. The storytellers, the biographers, the poets, the journalists, because they also have something to say about what life looks like, and they can help us in terms of our preaching. Planiga, at one point in this book, says this, As a confessionally reformed Christian, I believe in the faithfulness of God, the providence of God, the immutability of God's nature. Reformed Christianity is not a cult. So I share my faith in God's sovereign reliability with other Christians. And you just kind of let that sink in, and you say, I believe that that God is faithful, that God takes care of me. I believe in the province of God. I believe in the immutability of God. The songs that we've been singing 
just kind of refer to that also. God's unchangeable. God's mood doesn't go back and forth. We, it, it isn't that we can't be sure what kind of God will show up tomorrow or next year. God is, God is dependable. God is reliable. And it's this mighty but gracious God that we have and worship and believe in. A God who's going to take care of us, who's dependable, who's reliable, who, who is our Father for Jesus' sake, who, who is powerful, creator of heavens and earth, and can do and shape whatever needs to be shaped about us in our lives. And he wants to do this because he's brought us into our family. We are his children. We are his people. What fantastic assurance. And then Plandiga reminds us of something Dale Cooper was well known for observing. Dale Cooper was the chaplain at Calvin College for many, many years, since 1976 until fairly recently. And those of you who've been through Calvin College probably were impacted by him in one way or another, some of you perhaps very personally. I was impacted by the readings, the devotions that he produced over the years. And Plantinga says he was well known for making this observation. God's other name is surprise. This dependable, reliable, immutable God also can be called the God who surprises us. And in Job, in Joseph's life, there were lots of surprises. Joseph was the favorite son. I don't know that I'd recommend this for a father who had 12 sons that you just obviously make one of your, your favorite sons if you want to have good family relationships among your 12 boys and one girl. But Joseph obviously was the favorite of his father Jacob. He made us special coat for him, the coat of many colors, the elaborately embroidered coat that Joseph wore proudly. Joseph spoke of the dreams that he had where everybody bowed down to him, including his father and his brothers. And you can imagine that his brothers didn't take kindly to that. And his brothers found ways. Huh. They found a way to get rid of him finally. His father thought he'd been killed by an animal. His brothers brought a bloody coat his bloody coat, his special coat, said, look what happened. But they'd sold him into slavery. Joseph ended up in Egypt. And he ends up, first of all, in a pretty nice place. He's the head administrator of this wonderful, powerful man named Potiphar. But he ends up in jail. And Joel, Joseph interprets dreams while he's in prison. And, and he he becomes the second in command in Egypt because he's able to interpret the dreams that the Pharaoh was having. And they were dreams about a famine that was coming, but before the famine, seven years of plenty, and Joseph was put in charge of not spending everything that came in those seven years of plenty on building pyramids or monuments, but in putting the food away so that after those seven years of plenty, they could survive the seven years of famine. And Joseph 
the second in command, did that. And he saved the Egyptians. And he also saved the family that Joseph belonged to, the family in Canaan. The family that also was suffering from the famine. The, the family that also needed food. The family of 70 or so at that point that was then brought into Egypt and just put in the very best territory in Egypt, the land of Goshen. The family that God was using so that his son might eventually arrive. Joseph, all kinds of surprises, the ups and downs of life. And the question I want to just leave with you is a question about any surprises this year for you. Even as you look back. Neil Planning has this wonderful little quote here in his book as well. He says, God is great and God is good, but God is also elusive and unpredictable. You know, when Paul comes to our house, he always comes bringing books because I think Paul is following Plantinga's advice. And as a chaplain on a university campus, you better be kind of aware of what's around and what others are uh, reading and, and watching and absorbing. And the, the, the book that Paul gave to Ruth and me just a few days ago is a book that's entitled The God I Don't Understand. And God is in caps, and I is in the lower case. The God I don't understand. Reflections on tough questions of faith. And I've, I've kind of been reading into it a bit, but this is a book about the questions that Christians might have. As Christians, we should not be embarrassed to admit that there are many things we do not understand about God. There are things we don't understand about God that leave us angry or grieved or morally disturbed and others puzzled. And yet there are also things that can fill us with gratitude, humility, and hope. I don't know, as you have reflected on whatever surprises you may have experienced this year, whether they left you puzzled or angry, whether God was an elusive God who you prayed to and you wondered, where are you, God? Are you hearing me? Are you responding to my situation, to my prayers, or not? Or, God, you're such an unpredictable God, and I don't know what to do with that. The surprises of some of the folks that I mentioned at the beginning of the worship service. And it was just so interesting to have Jan DeWitt call me last uh, yesterday afternoon, late afternoon, evening, and telling me about this wonderful little dog that they'd gotten for Christmas. And it had been in the house now for a couple nights, but at 3 o'clock in the morning, the dog was pretty restless, needed to go outside, she thought. And so in the dark, she opens a slider, I think, and steps what, down what she thinks are the steps, and she just trips and falls and fractures her kneecap and now is kind of laid up. 
And as I said at the beginning of the service, her husband Dan now has to do some things that he's not used to doing. One of those surprises. One of those things that happen in life. You hear about the big C word. You hear about a loved one who's, who's dying or who's passed away. You, you begin to wonder what's in store for you going forward in the year 2014. And my prayer for you is that you may in some way be able to paraphrase what we are coached also to say as we think about this great and good God. That we can be patient when things go against us, thankful when things go well, and for the future, we can have good confidence in our faithful God and Father that nothing will separate us from his love. I want to tell you about Victor Klemperer. Victor Klemperer had the job of his dreams, the job that he'd always wanted. He was a professor at the University of Dresden in Germany in the days ramping up to World War II. Victor Klemper wanted to write the book that everybody would notice. Neil Plantinga tells us about this in his book, about French literature in the 18th century. And he wanted to write that book so that everybody, and so that as Neil Plantinga said, he could take the book around and autograph it amicably but illegibly. That would be his signature. But this was, he was Jewish. And the Nazis were in power. And the Nazis began to take his life away one bit at a time. They took away his car. They took away his telephone. They took away some of the classes he taught at the University of Dresden. They took away his house. And they put him in what was called the Jew house, which was the last step before the concentration camp. And Victor Klemper decided he was going to write a diary about all of this so that he could bear witness, precise witness, to the awful tragedies that were happening in Germany to people like him and others. One point... They break in, the Gestapo breaks in to search his house. They, they batter people around. They do some damage, and, and then they leave, and Klemper writes in his diary, if they would have discovered this diary, I would be a dead man. Victor Klemper thought he would be well known for writing this book on French literature of the 18th century. But Victor Klemper is known for something else these days. Because his diary and he survived. And you could read now the precise witness to the awful tragedies of that day. 
by reading his diary. And perhaps he could sort of paraphrase what Joseph said in our text. They meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. God shaped it for good so that so many people could become informed about what happened in my day to me and others like me. When we think about this great and good God in the year 2013, and as we think about what might happen in 2014, may God grant you the patience when things kind of don't go the way we'd hoped that you may also experience thankfulness when things go well. And may you know, may you have the kind of confidence that nothing will separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. That changes everything. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for being the God whom we may worship, whom we may worship in ways that we don't expect sometimes. A God who's reliable, immutable. A God who is faithful. A God who may sometimes also feel elusive and unpredictable. And Lord, may we just hang on to those words I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth, and that nothing separates us from your love, which is in Christ Jesus. Amen.